You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! We fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the field. I do not believe that they will ever acquire it as long as there is war. Free at last! Free at last! Thank God Almighty! We are free at last! Oh, the humanity! What just happened? Happened, happened, happened. Episode 207 Rocking and Rolling. Harry, is it hot out there? Yeah, really hot. It's been really wet for the past few weeks, and now we're getting a couple of very sunny days, but the humidity is very high lately. So high, in fact, that in a couple of our house plants, we found mushrooms growing. That's how humid it's been in these parts. Craziness, but hopefully it'll settle down and we'll get some nice, dry summer days. And how are your horses handling the weather in the Annapolis Valley that you live in? Well, they're very smart animals. Some people think horses are a bit dumb, but they're not. What our horses do is whenever it's inclement out, if it's too hot or the flies are bothering them too much or it's raining too much, they find their way back to the barn where there's shelter and where there's an overhang. And we leave their stall doors open on the outside so they can actually go into their stalls and get a break from the heat because it's cooler in the barn, get a bite and have some water, what have you. So that's what they do. They adapt to the circumstances. They're part of nature, so that's what they do. And everything went well with the farrier yesterday? Oh, yeah, yeah. Warwick uh, got a new shoe on his right front foot that he had thrown, and he's back to feeling good again on his feet. So your horses are rocking and rolling, aren't they? They're rocking and rolling, baby. In fact, when uh, Warwick especially drops down to roll on the ground, they both roll. It's funny, we're talking about rocking and rolling as two human activities today. Well, animals do it too. Our horses drop down and they roll across their backs, back and forth. Sometimes it's to, you know, maybe get at an itch they can't get at, or it just makes them feel good to do that. It's a dopamine hit of some kind. So yeah, rolling is one of the two things we're going to talk about today. Before we start this podcast, there's a little highlight I wanted to note here before we begin, because as you know, this weekend we celebrate six years of podcasting. We begin year seven. Mm -hmm. We're celebrating six years, and at the same time, podcasting itself is celebrating 20 years officially on Sunday, which is July 9th, going back to, of course, 2003, July 9th, when Christopher Lydon, who covered politics for the New York Times from the Washington Bureau in the 1970s. He hosted this show called The 10 O'Clock News on WGBH-TV through the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And he co-founded and hosted The Connection on WBUR in the 90s. He recorded the original podcast in 2003 with Dave Weiner, whose name is associated with the RSS syndication. That's very interesting. I had no idea that we were doing it on the same weekend, at the exact same time, 14 years later. And now we can go right into our own podcast, which today is Rocking and Rolling. Indeed. We at this podcast like to tackle subjects and ideas that are a little bit off-center, if you like. We take activities that humans do and take for granted, and we take a look at those activities. And we thought, here's a couple of activities that 
everyone does probably daily in one form or another. And let's take a look at these. And we're talking about rocking and rolling. Not only the musical rocking and rolling, you're going to talk about that, but just all of the activities of rocking, all of the activities of rolling that we engage in that without which we would not have a civilization, as it turns out. Mm -hmm. So let's go back right to the actual meaning of the word. The word rock, which is derived from the Old English, rocane, which also goes back to the Old Nordic, called richia, which means tear, pull, or move. And the word roll is derived from Latin rotula, meaning small wheel. So the two, pulling, moving, and turning. Hmm. And one of the earliest forms of rocking and rolling, if you like, that human beings experience is in the womb as mama kind of moves. The baby in the womb is moving with her and kind of sloshing around in that amniotic fluid. And so when we're born, one of the most soothing things that we experience as newborn babies is being rocked in our mother's arms gently. And so it's no wonder that one of the things that gives us the most comfort is a kind of rocking motion. And we feel that sometimes on ships when we're on the seas. We feel that, of course, in rocking chairs and in hammocks. Sometimes people who are very kind of emotionally upset and disturbed find comfort kind of rolling up in a little ball and rocking on the floor. It's one of these things that we turn to when we are feeling a little bit upset or need the comfort of that motion. And you mentioned the rocking and rolling. That term, that phrase was actually a metaphor that was used by seamen back in the 17th century to describe the motion of a ship. I know you touched upon that a little bit while you were talking. Mm -hmm. And there are similar metaphors that occur in popular discussions or conversations. But one in particular became basically the inspiration for this moniker, which by the 1920s, rocking and rolling became a popular, what they call double entendre, referring to either dancing or sex, <laughs> which kind of makes sense, rocking and rolling. Well, the expression, a roll in the hay. Yes. There's that. Hay, bedsheets, whatever the, whatever <laughs> the choice might be. But there was a blues ballad by uh, Trixie Smith back in 1922. Yeah. which was titled, My Man Rocks Me, and in brackets, with one steady roll. So that may be the first use of that phrase way back in the 20s. Uh-huh. That's interesting. And, and of course, the modern expression, you rock my world, alludes to that as well. Yes. In modern day, most people think of rock and roll as a term associated with Alan Freed, who was a disc jockey in Cleveland, Ohio, in the 50s. And he used to use this phrase, the rock and roll session, which described basically the amalgamation of rhythm and blues and country music, mm -hmm. which he played during his show. And then as his show gained popularity, so of course did the phrase. He did not invent the phrase, he just made it popular. And as I said, in modern day, he gets a lot of credit for that particular phrase. Oh, and then there's this. Hello, everybody. How are you all? This is yours truly, Alan Free. Get your dancing shoes on and welcome to the rock and roll dance party. Yeah. 
From New York City, the home of rock and roll, we welcome you to the big beat in popular music in America. And here's the king of rock and roll himself, Alan Freed. Thank you, Vern Bennett, and welcome to our Camel Rock and Roll Dance Parties. Right now, we'd like to tell you a little musical story about a young group called the Teenagers. And a story is uh, a pretty important one, especially to the youth of our country. They want to learn how to become hit stars overnight. Little Frankie Lyman, 13 years old, wrote the song and recorded it with his own vocal group called The Teenagers, heading for the million mark in sales. Here they are in person on our rock and roll dance party to sing Why Do Fools Fall in Love? Staying with music for a moment, one of the most natural things we do when we hear a tune is to kind of bop our bodies back and forth, a kind of rocking, swaying back and forth, or we nod our heads back and forth, right? So it's quite natural to talk about rocking and rolling in a musical sense. It's just something the body wants to do when we hear a rhythmic sound. So there's that. I wanted to just throw that out there. You just described white man dancing. <laughs> <laughs> One of the early aspects of toy manufacture was the rocking horse, which was something that first kind of made its appearance in the 17th century for King Charles I, who had a rocking horse built for him. And so rocking horses have been around since the 17th century, gone through its own kind of evolution from carved horses sitting on solid curved runners mm -hmm. to horses in a kind of a brace sitting inside this structure, the horse itself would move and the structure would stay solid. So there's kind of those two types of rocking horses. And if you look at photographs of rocking horses through history, they're really art at a certain point with gold leaf applied. Sometimes the horses were in full flight like racing horses. And some of them are huge structures. The biggest one is in the Guinness World Book of Records was built in 2000. It's seven feet, eight inches tall and weighs 1,200 pounds, can seat three adults or four to five children who ride it all at the same time. From the youngest rider of six weeks old to the oldest at 94 years old, it's been one of the most popular and enduring toys in human history. And while you're speaking of toys, there's also the reference to a lullaby, Rockabye Baby. Yep which was a song that goes back to 1805. So the reference you made to the childbearing aspect and the child-carrying aspect of pregnancies and motion associated within the womb and so on, the uh, lullaby makes total sense. And of course, you combine the two. And how many books or movies have you read or seen where you have a rocking chair or a rocking horse and a mother singing to her baby? It's all interconnected. Well, in fact, in 1742, which is one of the earliest notifications of a rocking chair being built in Philadelphia, at the time they were called nurse chairs with rockers. So it was designed for mothers who were nursing their infants to sit and rock their children in. 
So it wasn't originally built for adults per se, it was actually built for the babies. And interestingly enough, it's an American or new world phenomenon, the rocking chair. You didn't find rocking chairs in Europe particularly. They thought they were a bit ungraceful and indulgent and implied a kind of laziness Mm -hmm. (laughs) to Europeans. But that didn't matter to new worlders who embraced the rocking chair big time. Also, just as a side note, John F. Kennedy loved rocking chairs. He owned 14 of them, apparently, in a kind of Appalachian design. And he had them around in the Oval Office at the time. So it served to lift the popularity of rocking chairs as well when he had so many of them. Mm -hmm. It was probably soothing his back, too, for all his little escapades. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Bill Clinton could have used one, I guess, too. (laughs) He needed that rocking chair to recuperate. Yeah. As you know, he had a bad back on top of all his extracurricular activities. So the, he needed at least a dozen rocking chairs to be able to go from spot to spot within the room. Exactly. Exactly. The other element of rocking, which I thought was interesting, and I grew up in a Jewish family. And when we went to the synagogue as children, we would see these grown up men, typically, mm. with the top hats and the sideburns and all that, orthodox. And they would be reading from the Torah, or Jewish Bible, I guess you could call it. And they wouldn't just be reading out loud or quietly. They would actually be rocking back and forth on their heels, forward and backwards, as they were reciting the prayers. Never understood why they did that. And no one ever explained to me why they did that. Well, I just looked it up before this podcast to get a handle on that. Apparently, it's got a name. It's called Shukling, S-H-U-C-K-L-I-N-G, Shukling. And the reason for the Shukling is a little bit unclear. It's not agreed upon by everyone. But one of the elements of it is apparently that God is so great and the Torah is so great that we tremble in the face of it. Ah. And so this rocking is kind of an echoing of that trembling, if you like. The other element is that when we speak the prayer... We're not just speaking with our voice, we're speaking with our entire being. Our entire body is involved in reciting and speaking this prayer. And so that's why the body is brought into it in such a full way, this rocking motion. It connects us completely, not just through our voice, but our entire bodies are then connected to the spirit and to the sacred. Mm -hmm. Go back just a bit. When you talked about rocking chairs, there's an interesting point on this one. The association with a rocking horse versus rocking any other animal or any other inanimate object, because the so-called predecessor of the rocking horse could be seen as the rocking cradle. And the rocking cradle, they were tilted seats that were used in the Middle Ages for jousting practice. Uh Uh-huh. Right. And so there's a direct connection to the actual horse. Put the two together... And there's a history there that connects the entire formation of that particular device. Well, sure. I mean, in the 17th century, the horse was the primary mode of transportation anyway. And children would see their parents riding horses and would be intrigued by that. And so it'd be a natural toy to carve a horse and put it on rockers for the child. I mean, there are carved horses going back thousands of years as toys but not on the rockers. That was a more recent phenomenon. A 
The word rock and roll, we generally associate that with music, Mm -hmm. especially since the 50s. Elvis Presley, I guess, would be considered the king of rock and roll, although it's arguable because there were many performers during that period that were into the same genre like uh, Chuck Berry and Little Richard and so on. Apart from the music itself, the production of the music, there's also what they call cueing techniques that are used in the recording of music, particularly in analog, not digital, in analog recordings, where previously you were using open reel tape machines and you rock and roll tape. You move things back and forth, positioning and cueing recordings for playback, especially for editing, which way back then in the analog days was done by cutting and splicing the tape. Mm. So the passing of the reel-to-reel tape basically disappeared into obsolescence with the digital age. And that technique, rocking and rolling, is no longer used. I didn't know that. And I was rocking and rolling back in the 1980s when I had my four-track Fostex and using tape and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Wow. So rocking and rolling. Now, let's talk about rolling. Well, you know the first thing that comes to my mind? Yeah. Sisyphus. Who is Sisyphus? Who the hell is Sisyphus? Think Greek mythology. Picture a man pushing a boulder up a hill. And Harry, you've alluded to or uh, depicted Sisyphus in some of your past writings. Yeah. So perhaps you can elaborate further on this mythological figure and its meaning. All right. Well, Sisyphus was a king. And back in the good old days, he was a bad boy, apparently. Uh Uh-huh. And he actually cheated death. He cheated Hades. Hades is the god of the underworld, as we know. But he got away from that, did Hades. And Sisyphus cheated death in different ways over his life. And he apparently was sentenced to pushing a boulder up a hill. And the boulder was enchanted. And so what happens is that when the boulder was close to the top of the hill, the crest, It got away from Sisyphus and rolled down, and Sisyphus would have to go and roll that boulder back up again, and it kept doing that for eternity. So he was sentenced to hard labor that was repetitive, and so it came to kind of symbolize futile work that just makes no sense ultimately. It's absurd in a way. Mm -hmm. So we call it the myth of Sisyphus. And it involves this rolling up and rolling down the hill. And when you're talking about rolling, I mentioned Sisyphus right away. Mm -hmm. But there's one that's very, very obvious. We're sitting on a rotating globe. The earth is constantly rolling as we speak. We don't feel it, but it's moving at something in the order of 67,000 miles per hour while it's rotating on its axis at 1,000 miles per hour. So that's probably... The clearest image I have of anything associated with rolling. Yeah. So when you think about it, we should be a little bit dizzy because we are constantly rolling. We are never not rolling when it comes down to it. It's the most fundamental activity that we are engaged with, whether we know it or not. That's right. And another image that comes to my mind, a childhood image, was uh, watching my grandmother or my aunts or my mother rolling pasta. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they might have used a rolling pin to do that. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I was just looking into this. The rolling pins go back to the 9th century BC. The Etruscan peoples used rolling pins to do just that, to make thin roll pasta. And then it was shaped beyond that with cutting wheels. But they used rolling pins to make bread as well because they grew a large number of grains. 
the Etruscans wrote down on vases and on walls of their tombs recipes for cooking, etc. So the rolling pin has a venerable history to it as well. And it's something we use to make one of the most fundamental food items on the planet, which is bread. Mm -hmm. And also, when you think of the rolling pin, if you have that image in your mind, now take that image and really enlarge that image, and you suddenly have the rolling logs that were used to move the blocks for the pyramids. Oh, yeah, and other heavy-duty materials. It's a beautiful and efficient way of moving something that's really heavy. I mean, we've used it ourselves here at the homestead, where we've used big logs to move something across, and then you move the back log that's now loose to the front kind of thing, and you move this object across these rolling logs. So it's a very interesting technique. Without rolling, you couldn't do it, which also reminds us of one of the fundamental bases of our civilization, without which we would probably not have civilization as we know it, which is the wheel itself. Mm -hmm. The fundamental activity of rolling people put together very quickly as a way of transport, as a way of building things. And take that a step further, years were used or developed in order to transfer power from large to small, small to large, slow things down, speed things up, and be able to generate phenomenal power by this transference. Yeah, I mean, basic gears, there's evidence of them in the fourth century BC in China, and they're startlingly intricate, using them to calculate astronomical positions, that sort of thing. And the historians believe that differential gears first appeared around 1000 BC in China. Mm -hmm. And they used them in south-pointing chariots. They arranged it such that a portion of the chariot would always point south, no matter where the chariot was turned. They used gears to create that setup. I don't know quite how that works, but that's how they use their gears. We humans roll before we walk. Rolling is also a motor skill that enables a baby to roll from their stomach to their back and vice versa. So rolling was pretty significant in our human development. Yeah, and one of the most joyful things we do as children is rolling when we play. Acrobatics. We love acrobatics. Acrobats because they roll and tumble. Martial arts training involves how to fall and roll and absorb our falls in that way. So there's a very practical and joyful aspect to the act of rolling. And thinking about rocking and rolling, it's like comfort on the one hand, rocking, and joy on the other, rolling. Comfort and joy, rocking and rolling. The whole world of rolling, roll-on deodorants, roll-on Columbia, roll-on, these, these songs about rivers rolling along. We talk about rolling thunder. Thunder is rolling as well. So rolling is all around us. Everywhere we look and experience, we have rocking and we have rolling. In your reference to rolling, it's a childhood habit, which I continue to have, yeah. which is whenever I have a pen or pencil and I'm just scribbling something, I find myself constantly making circles or whirling figures. And there's a certain, I'm not sure what it is, but I've thought about it. And I realized that I associate a certain mood with circles and with swirls. Mm -hmm. There's a softness and a containment 
that they offer without the rigidity of angular geometric shapes. And I found even when I was doing my architectural studies back in university that oftentimes when I was asked to draw something up or design something, I would always include some spherical shape within the design. No matter what I did, it seemed I always wanted to incorporate that particular figure. Hmm. The rolling affected those aspects of what I was studying or, or what I was designing. Yeah, I mean, you could almost think of rocking and rolling as a masculine and feminine thing. Mm. The rocking is more kind of directed in a way. It's back and forth and back and forth. And the rolling is more kind of emotion, but soft rolling motion. It's not as directed in a way. And I was just thinking about rocking too in the form of a pendulum. A pendulum rocks back and forth. Mm -hmm. The earliest timepieces beyond sundials themselves would have been rocking pendulum clocks. And then you had gears involved and pendulums. So you had this rolling and you had this rocking coming together to create the way we measure time. Time itself, as we know it, wouldn't be the same thing without this rocking, without this rolling. So there's so many critical aspects to our lives that involve those two activities. Well, the words are obviously connected to activities, but it's also the shape. When you're thinking of rocking and rolling, you're generally thinking of circular shapes and all kinds of things come into play. The globe, the universe, the sun, mm -hmm. at least in my mind, it does. Well, yeah. I mean, it is everything. It is our universe. Our universe has a kind of spherical aspect to it and a roundedness to it. I mean, look at the earth from space. It's this blue marble rolling through space. And so it's quite natural that we would, in a way, create objects that rolled, echoing the planet itself. Don't you also associate it with no beginning and no end? In a way, it's like the Ouroboros, the snake that bites its own tail. There's no beginning and no end. It just keeps flowing like a river onward to infinity. Mm -hmm. So there's probably a link or a connection as to this whole idea of how it infiltrated not only our psyche or our expressions, our language, it also formulated a lot of the basis for our inventions and developments in terms of understanding motion and conservation of energy or efficiency. Mm -hmm. And the word rock and roll is also associated with a certain energy itself, a certain freedom. For sure. Rock and roll hoochie-coo. Yeah. <laughs> keep on rocking in the free world, I say. Why don't we just roll our way out of this? Sure. Roll on, Columbia. Roll on. Ciao, Peter. Ciao, Harry. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to the SIL podcast.